How you guys doing today? Everybody doing all right? It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? Awesome. How many people just love humidity? Yes. No, no. We expect heat in the summertime, but humidity at like 7 o'clock this morning, 97, 90 plus percent outside. What is this, Alabama? <laughs> it's Southern California. This is the Bridge Church. We're so grateful that you're here this morning. We're expecting an awesome day in God's house. How many people enjoyed worship this morning? Isn't it great just being, just great being in the presence of God? We're so glad that you're here today. And just real quick, before we get started into the message today, I want to take a moment to welcome everybody, especially those of you who are new or you're here for the very first time at the bridge. We just want to say thank you so much for being here today. We always make it a priority to welcome our guests when we gather on Sunday mornings like this because we seriously, we're very, very grateful that you're here this morning. And I just want to take a moment personally and welcome you. And we say we really hope that you enjoy your experience today at the Bridge Church. We hope that you meet some awesome people. But above all that, we hope that you have an encounter with God. This morning. Hope that you meet with him this morning. If you have any questions about the church, we would love to meet you. We would love to answer those questions. We'd love to tell you more about the church because we care about helping you get plugged in and get involved. And we want to help you find your place here in this local body. So take some time right after service to stop by the Connection Center. We have a great team of volunteers that serve at the Connection Center. It's right outside these first sets of doors. As soon as you go to your right, there's a desk there that says the Connection Center right above it. You can stop by, say hi. Our team would love to meet you. We want to help you in any way that we can. Because we want to help you get plugged in and involved here at the bridge. We're so grateful that you're here this morning. If you're a regular part of the bridge, would you join me today? Let's put our hands together and welcome all of our guests that are with us this morning. Awesome. This morning, if you got your Bible, would you meet me in 2 Peter chapter 1? 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to bring a message to you this morning called Add to Your Faith. Add to Your Faith. I'm going to begin reading here in just a moment. From 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 2. This is what it says. This is Peter writing. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord and his divine power. Everybody say divine power. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 4 says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you, not just talking about the person who's sitting next to you, not just talking about me, but you, each and every one of us, that we may be partakers of the divine nature. Everybody say divine nature. We may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He goes on in verse 5 and he says, But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. 
Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that we are your church, that we can gather in freedom and in liberty this morning. God, we lift high the name of Jesus above everything else that might be going on in our lives, and we give you priority this morning. We ask that you would come and truly sit on the throne of our lives, on the throne of this church. Have your way in our lives and together with all of us corporately today. We believe, God, that your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Father, nobody came to hear from me this morning. They came to hear from you. So get me out of the way and say what you will this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. About 10 years ago, I was in Bible college, and uh, it was kind of crazy, like, thinking back. You know how just you have these moments where you're like, man, I'm getting old or something. But 10 years ago, I was in Bible college in Australia, and I'll never forget, I was reading through this passage of Scripture this week, and I was reminded of something that happened when I was in Bible college. I had a good friend that was one of my classmates, and we were sitting in a class one day with one of our teachers, and a group of us, of students and classmates, we were sitting together, and one of my friends was talking about how amazing it is just to stop and think that Jesus could live 33 or so plus years on this earth and never sin. And he was talking about, wow, isn't it amazing to think that Jesus lived a sinless life? I mean, because you and I, we, we all know what it's like to fall short, right? We all know what it's like to make mistakes, to come up short of God's perfection, but Jesus lived all 33 plus years of his life on this earth, sinless, spotless, in a way that was pleasing to God. And we're having this conversation, and my friend says, man, it's almost hard to believe that. He said, it's almost hard to believe, because all I know is my own experience. And as we were sitting there talking about it, he, he just kind of kept talking, and he made this statement. He said, in order for Jesus to live his life on this earth sinlessly, Jesus must have had some amazing willpower. And when he said that, we all just kind of sat there and listened to what he said for a moment. And my teacher began to speak up and he said, do you think the reason why Jesus was able to live his life on this earth sinless is just because he had amazing willpower? And as we talked about that for a moment, he said, this right here is where a lot of Christians start to miss what God has for them. He says a lot of times we look at the sinfulness of our past, we step into salvation, a relationship with God, and we think that the way we're supposed to walk in victory is by having strong willpower. He said, but it's interesting, if you start to think that your walk with God is all about willpower, then you start to miss out on the power of God that's supposed to be alive and active in your life. And at that very moment, we began to talk about this, and he says, Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and that was the time at which this passage of Scripture really made a huge impact on my life. And he said, you know, when you walk through this, God, or, or Peter begins to talk about how the nature, God's divine nature and God's divine power needs to be at work in our life. And I began to understand as I read through this passage of Scripture that God does not want me to walk through life trying to get through life successfully just with strong willpower. He wants my willpower to grow, but he wants me to be empowered by his divine power. And it's so important that each and every one of us understand that Christianity in a walk with God is not supposed to be defined by me trying to make God happy. It's by me walking through life empowered by the Spirit of God so that I can step into everything he has for my life. Willpower is great, but divine power is so much better. Let me say that again. Willpower is great, but divine power is so much better. Now, to help illustrate this further, we go on and see that when we talk about willpower and divine power, the author of this passage of Scripture is so significant. Because you and I know what it's like to fail. This is the second epistle of Peter. I mean, of all the dudes in the New Testament who knew what it was like to fail, the guy who's writing about divine power being at work in his life, Peter, man, he's got some great stories about times that he failed. 
And when I look back at his life, I mean, Peter is the guy who stepped out of the boat, started to walk on water with Jesus. And when his eyes moved from Jesus to his own strength, he began to sink. And scripture says that he began to fail and fall down into the water. Jesus began to tell his disciples, he says, listen guys, there's a time coming where I will suffer many things and I will eventually go to the cross and I will die. And Peter looks at him and he says, far be it from me that that would ever happen to you. And what did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. It's God's will that I would go and die on the cross for the sins of the world. That was a fail on Peter's part. But then, of course, the biggest one that we know of is that when Jesus goes on trial, Peter says, I will never let you go and stand that trial alone. I'll never let you go to the cross alone. And Jesus says, yeah, you think so? Well, guess what? By the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And we see that while Jesus is on, on trial, Peter does exactly that. He fails again. If there was anybody who could have talked about failure and not having the willpower to walk victoriously through his life, it would have been Peter because Peter knew he needed more than willpower, he needed divine power. Willpower is great, but divine power is better. And I love the way this reads. Now, let's keep, I'll, I'll, let's keep going in the scripture. I want to read that to you one more time from verses 3 and 4 to really emphasize what Peter was talking about here with divine power in divine nature. He says again in verse 3, as his, God's divine power, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, no, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And then in verse 4 it says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through Lust. So Peter uses the word divine twice. He talks about God or Christ's divine power and his divine nature. Why do we need God's divine power and nature to be working in our lives? I think if I was to give you a very simple answer to that question, it would be simply this. If we can access God's divine power and God's divine nature, it will empower us to live a life that is far above our own abilities. It will empower us to live a life that is far beyond our own Abilities. Now, let's take a little bit of time here and just talk about God's divine power and God's divine nature. If you're taking notes this morning, write these down. Number one, God's divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. God's divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. We just saw that in verse 3. Now, let's look at that word life for just a moment. God's divine power gives us everything we need for life. That word in the original Greek is the word zoe. If we were to read it in English, we would say Zoe, but in the Greek it was Zoe. And the definition of that word literally means life to the fullest in both vitality and in ethic. Life to the fullest in both vitality and in ethic. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life abundantly. Life to the fullest, full of vitality, full of vitality. And that's really what he's talking about here, Peter, when he talks about God's divine power giving us everything we need for life. According to God's power, we can live life to the fullest, both in vitality, that means our physical and our spiritual well-being, and also in ethic. The highest standard of morality, the highest standard of right and wrong can be ours because we're walking in the power of God. We can live by the highest of standards. But then it goes on and it says that he, his divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. That second word godliness in the original Greek is the word eusebia. It means life that is reverent and pleasing to God. Life that is reverent and pleasing to God. I feel like when I read this verse, it's almost like the purpose of life is all summed up in one verse. That we would live life to the fullest 
and that we would live life that is pleasing and reverent toward God. Can I tell you what God has called you to do in life? He has called you to live your life to the fullest, both in vitality and ethic, and live a life that is pleasing and reverent to God. Now that will take a lot of us down different paths, but in a very, very general way, that's the call of God for all of our lives. Live it to the fullest and live it in a way that is pleasing and reverent toward our God. We have to understand that. God wants us to experience his divine nature. If you're taking notes, write that down. Number two, God wants us to experience his divine nature. It goes on in verse four and it says that God gives us great and precious promises. It says exceedingly great and precious promises that we might be partakers of his divine nature. Now we talked about God's divine power, but now it talks about God's divine nature. And here's what I want to focus on for just a moment before we move forward. That we might be partakers of God's divine nature. I love that word partakers. If you go back in this word and you look at it in the original Greek as well, that word partakers is the word koinonos. It's the same word that we get koinonia from earlier in the New Testament, which simply means fellowship. That you and I would have fellowship with the nature of God. If you look at what fellowship means, it means partnership or companionship. Think about this for just a moment. You don't have to live your life trying to get by on your willpower. You can be empowered by the Spirit of God having fellowship, having friendship, having companionship with God's divine nature. That's an amazing thing. Think about it for just a moment. If I try to walk through my Christian life in my own strength and in my own power according to my own nature, more often than not, I'm going to fail. Anybody else? I'm going to fail if I try to do my life, with, my walk with God in my own strength and in my own power and in my own nature. Scripture tells us that we are born of a sinful nature. We see it all throughout Scripture. Here's the thing. My nature isn't all that divine. I need more of God's nature and I need a whole lot less of mine. That rhymed. Okay. My nature, let's say that again because that was kind of cool. My nature is not all that divine. I need a lot more of God's nature and a whole lot less of mine. Amen? That's exactly what Peter's talking to us about. He says, look, I can identify my failures. I can identify the times where I missed the mark, where I tried to get by my own strength and my own power according to my own will and my own nature. And where did it get me? It ended me up in failure. But he says, you don't have to have a Christian life that is divine by failure. You can be a partaker of God's divine nature. You can have fellowship. You can have friendship. You can have companionship with the very nature of God. And see, sometimes when we talk about that within the, the world of Christendom, sometimes it sounds kind of spooky and eerie and crazy. Can I tell you something? That any walk with God that is not accessing the power of God is dead and dull and dry. God wants you to access his divine power and his divine nature every single day of your life. Please, somebody say amen to that this morning. Listen, if you came in here this morning and you feel as though your walk with God is dead and it's dull and it's dry, it's time to tune in to the divine power and the divine nature of our God because he wants to give you free access to it every single day of your life. So that's why Peter goes on and talks about this. Don't live a, a Christian life that's simply all about your willpower or your own strength or your own nature. Tap into the power, the divine power of God. Tap into the divine nature of God. It's there for the taking. It's there for you to access it. When we read on and you look at this, really what he's talking about is talking about having a partnership in this life with God, a relationship in this life with God. 
Where God, you've saved me. God, you've healed me. God, you've delivered me. You've set me free from my past. And now I don't just have to walk into my future with what you did yesterday. I can walk into my future every single day of my life in a fellowship, relationship, friendship, companionship, relationship with you. That's an amazing thing. And speaking of partnerships, you know, the thing about a partnership is that every single partnership, every single relationship requires equal effort. Have you noticed that before? Anybody noticed that like in your marriage? Like if your marriage is to be good, you have to do your part too. You can't just expect your, your spouse to just be like so happy all the time that, you know, you're so happy all the time that I don't even have to try. I mean, it's just so wonderful. It's like when I come home, you know, like the, the day's been so great. I know you might have had some endurance, you know, you might have had to deal with some difficult things. But when I come home, you're just so kind and you're so nice that it's almost like I don't even have to try. No, we all know that if you want to have a healthy relationship or a healthy marriage, there has to be equal effort that goes into that relationship. Amen? So we all know that. We all understand that. And when I look at this, I almost feel as though what Peter is talking about here in 2 Peter 1, this is almost like Peter's take on the fruits of the Spirit. Because he goes on and he talks about adding to your faith. And he says, a walk with God that is empowered by the, the, the divine power of God, that's in fellowship with the divine nature of God, begins to produce fruit. In our lives. So I want to go on and for the rest of the service and the rest of the time that we have today, I want to talk about the first three things that Peter mentions here when he talks about walking in God's divine power and in God's divine nature. Look at this. He says, excuse me, let's keep going here. Verse 9. He says in verse 9, <laughs> sorry I messed up again. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Everybody say diligence. You have to be diligent if you want to have a healthy relationship. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Now there's seven things there that he says that we have to diligently add to our walk with God. But when you look at this, what you see is it's not us adding it on our own. It's God partnering with us and these becoming fruits in our life. The first thing I want to look at this morning is the word virtue. Peter says, add to your faith. And when he says faith, he's talking about not just our belief system, but our walk with God. Remember, faith is never just what we believe here. It's what we believe so strongly here that we will hang our whole life on it and we will walk it out. We will take steps about what we believe. He says, add to your faith virtue. Now, this word sounds kind of bland. It sounds kind of simple and generic when we hear the word virtue. Because the definition of virtue, according to this Greek word is this word arete, and it means moral excellence in thought, feeling, and action. So Peter says, add to your faith arete, moral excellence in thought, feeling, and action. Now that just sounds like we would have quality character. So add quality character to your walk with God. But there's so much more than this, and I want to explain this to you. If you look back at this word arete, this Greek word, it's used about six or seven times in the New Testament. And most of the time when it's translated into the English, it's translated into that word virtue. But there's one place where it's translated differently. And it's translated in the book of 1 Peter into the word praise. Now watch this. I want to show you something. This is really, really interesting. You've got to grab this this morning. I want to show you this this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. This is going back one book, okay? What does a life of virtue in a relationship with God look like? This is what it says. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want to read it to you like this. That you may proclaim the arete, the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In other words, a virtuous life with God means that I am called out of darkness and the world that I am living in can see I'm walking in a different light. That's what a virtuous Christian life in relationship with God looks like. But I love it that that word praise is used. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. It says that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, his own special people. When we are walking with God, when we are partakers, when we're in fellowship with his divine nature, we will then walk into a a lifestyle where the people in the world around us see that we aren't walking in the same darkness. It's as if you're walking in marvelous light. Have you ever been around somebody that when you looked at their walk with God, you're like, I just want to spend more time around you. I'm just inspired by the way that your walk with God looks. I'm inspired because when I watch your life, it seems as though you're walking in a different kind of light. It seems like you've been called out of the thing that I'm struggling with, and you don't struggle with that anymore. It's like you're one of God's chosen. It's like you've got God's ear. It's like you're hearing from him constantly and consistently. Why? Because when we walk into that relationship with God where we are partakers, we're having fellowship with his divine nature, we begin to access that virtue that says you are living a life that's different than the world around you. And when I look at that word praise, it's such a beautiful thing. Because our life is not about us receiving praise from others. Our life is about us giving praise to God. So think of it this way. What does a virtuous Christian life look like? A virtuous Christian life, when we are accessing the divine nature and the divine power of God, is when we are living a life that isn't bringing praise to us, it is bringing praise to the God that we serve. And here's the crazy thing about it, is this idea of virtue is something that is recognizable to others. Imagine others looking at you and saying, there's a unique virtue about you, but it's not about you. It's like you're a virtuous person, not because of the praise you receive. You're a virtuous person because of the praise that you give. Can I just tell you this morning, I don't want to be the kind of person that is only giving praise to God in such a way that people are like always hearing me say that. I also want to be the kind of person that's continually praising others. I want to lift others up above myself. You know what one of the best ways you can gain a good reputation is when the words of your mouth are less about you and more about God and more about others. Like what if in your workplace you were the one person who wasn't criticizing your boss for the decisions they make? Think about that for a minute. When everybody gathers around the water cooler when boss man's door is shut or boss lady's door is shut and they're talking about something else that they don't want you to know about and everybody gathers around to talk about the last decision they made that everybody thought was a bad idea. What if instead you said, you know, they've done a pretty good job to get the business to this point and I know those decisions might be tough but to do them to the best that they can. What if you became a person who gave praise to others rather than tore others down? What if you were the one person in a dark situation that others realized was full of light and virtue because of the praise that was coming out of you rather than the praise that you were bringing toward yourself? I think that as the people of God, we have got to be those kind of people. People who have praise on our lips, praise on our mouth, that we're continually lifting others up and giving glory to God. A virtuous Christian life should be less about the praise we receive, but instead the praise that we give. Amen? And you know what? We have to choose to be those kind of people. Because my regular nature, my sinful nature, that don't come easily, my friends. Like when I see things that I don't like, I'm often like really quick to speak up and say, well, what is that? What are you doing? Why did you make that decision? Why did you make that call? 
Because in my own human nature, I want to criticize sometimes. But when I begin to take but to partake and have fellowship and friendship and companionship with the nature of God, it empowers me to be someone who has praise in my mouth, that is giving praise to God and others around me, lifting them up and living a Christian life of virtue. So that's the first thing that we see when we talk about a virtuous life. But he goes on, Peter, and he talks about add to your faith virtue. And then he gives us the second one, okay? He says, and add to virtue knowledge. If you're taking notes, number two, add to virtue Knowledge. Now, this is a word right here that in its translation might not be the best word when you, get, when you go from the Greek word to the English word. The English word we get here in a lot of our modern day translations is this word knowledge. And that word knowledge in its, in its original um, definition means understanding of the ways of God. But I think the more accurate word here would either be understanding or wisdom. Add to your faith virtue and to your virtue understanding and wisdom. Now, let me explain that to you because if we go on and get a better understanding of this, it helps us to know why underst- or excuse me, understanding and wisdom is probably a better word. It says in Proverbs chapter 4, listen to this, verse 1 through 8. This is Solomon writing these words. He says, "Hear my children the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding." Notice it doesn't say give attention to no knowledge. It says give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Where does good doctrine come from? The word of God, for those of you who didn't know. It comes from the word of God. All truth comes from the word of God. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Verse 3. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one on the side of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Now this is the beauty of it right here. Verse 5. Get wisdom. It doesn't say get knowledge. It says get wisdom. Get understanding, not get knowledge. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. And this right here, verse 7, because wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will promote you. Now, let's talk about what this means for just a moment. Have you ever met somebody that was academically so brilliant that you could never understand anything they ever said? Have you ever met somebody who was so full of knowledge and they were so smart that when they talked to you, you felt like everything they said just went right here and I didn't catch any of it? You're so smart, yet I still don't understand. Here's the funny thing, is that as Christians, sometimes we can open up the word of God and feel like there is so much here, this is so deep, this is, there's so much to this, there's so much context to be found, that we can sometimes look at the word of God and feel as though there's so much here, I'm not sure I will ever fully understand it or comprehend it. It's so easy in the word of God to feel like you're in over your head. But here's the thing, I think one of the ways that we can change that is when we, when we change the way that we approach the word of God. And here's what I mean by that. God did not intend for his word to simply be head knowledge. It is the will of God that his word would go from head knowledge to becoming heart wisdom and heart understanding. It is God's will that when you get into his word, it moves past head knowledge and it becomes heart wisdom, heart understanding. And I think a lot of us, that's one of the ways that we fail when it comes to that walk with God also is because we tend to approach the Bible more academically for knowledge than we do for wisdom and for understanding. 
And I've had to learn through this. And let me just be really practical for just a few moments because I, I think this is important. When we talk about, you know, getting into God's divine power and, and partaking of his divine nature, we have to be diligent to do our part, right? And here's a big part of the Christian life. A big part of the Christian life is communication with God. You know, we talk about prayer and we talk about getting into the scriptures, getting into God's word, getting into the Bible as ways that we grow in God. But for a lot of us, it's so difficult to get into God's word because sometimes we approach this like it's so academic. Like we have to have a full understanding. If we don't have a full understanding, then we're not going to get it. We want to put it down. And sometimes we look at the size of the book and how long it'll take to get through it and how long it'll take to understand it. And we just tend to put it down. And I'm going to talk to you very, very practically for just a moment because I can't tell you how often as a pastor we have conversations with people who talk about struggling in their walk with God because they don't spend enough time in God's word. And oftentimes when we talk about spending time in God's word, it becomes something that people feel is religion and ritual. Like, I can't make God happy if I don't read my Bible. And I think if we were to change our perspective and kind of change the entire paradigm, the thing that we would find is that God is saying, if you will just take time to quiet your soul, to clear everything else out, to open my word and ask for me to speak to you, you will be blown away at the things I will begin to reveal to you. Can I just tell you this morning, like, I'm a pastor, and there are times where I have to stop, and at the very beginning of my time with God, I have to clear everything else off. I have to close. I'll sometimes walk into my office. I will close the door. I will close the blinds. I will do anything and everything I need to do, and I will set everything else aside and say, God, above all else, I need to encounter you today. I'm not interested in more academic knowledge of your word. I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be in friendship and in fellowship and companionship with you. I'll be even more honest with you. This morning I came in and I, I felt pretty sure about this word today, but I sat down in my office and I just began to sing out to God because I said, God, I need your presence more than anything else this morning. Like in my own nature and in my own power, according to my own will and my own strength, I have absolutely zero business up here. But God, you've called me to do this and I can't do it on my own, so I clear everything else out and I invite you in. Let me just give everybody a, a quick tip because I know I'm, I'm talking very practically right now. But I want to issue a challenge. I felt like God spoke this to me this morning. I want to issue a challenge to every single person that's here this morning. If you feel like there's some, you know, there's some dullness and there's some dryness to your time with God, especially when you open up his word, I dare you, I challenge you to sit down at his word. And before you sit down at his word, sit down at his feet. And say, God, I, I want to spend time in your word. I want to know you more. I want to get to know you more. I want to be in friendship and in fellowship and in companionship with you. And so right now, I just open my life up and I ask for you to come in and speak to me. Because sometimes we move so quickly to the ritual that we forget about the relationship. God doesn't want you to be trapped in ritual. He wants you to have a relationship with him. So that when you get into his word, he can speak to you. There's companionship. There's fellowship. There's friendship. You know, speaking of that, I actually brought these two Bibles up here with me pretty intentionally this morning because um, I keep these two Bibles on my desk. These Bibles are special to me. This Bible is my dad's, and when you open it up, it's got tape right here. <laughs> it's got written words, it's got underlined phrases, it's got thoughts, it's got dates written throughout this Bible. In fact, it's almost falling apart. And this Bible belonged to Pastor Roger. He was our founding pastor. This Bible's special to me because it's got Pastor Roger's handwritten notes in here. It's got dates. It's got underlined phrases. And the reason I wanted to share that with you guys this morning is because every single time I open these books up, what I see is not a history of where two men read the Bible. 
I see the history of where they had a relationship with God. You know, one of the coolest things that you could do for your kids is to hold on to the Bible that you underline, that you cry in, that you spill your coffee or your tea in, that you underline, you write dates in, and one day give it to them, not so that they understood that you read the Bible, but so that they understand that you had a relationship with God. Because when I open up these pages, I don't just see words, and I don't just see reading, I see revelation. And I think it's time that we, as the people of God, return to a time when we open up the word, we look at God and say, God, I'm not just here to read, I'm here for a relationship, I want to know you. I want to know you more than anything else. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. That's the heart of God, that we would come into that relationship with him. And I believe that we have to understand it's not just about knowledge, but that we would add to our faith virtue, and to our virtue, wisdom, and understanding. God's word should give us more than head knowledge. It should give us heart wisdom and heart understanding. Here's the last thing this morning. This is the third thing I want to talk about. He then goes on, Peter says, add to your faith self-control. Self-control. And I feel like this is a good place for us to kind of close up this morning. When you look at this definition of self-control in the original writings, it means the virtue of one who has mastered their desires and their passions. One who's gotten themselves under control. And really the picture that we see here is that it's God who empowers us. He does strengthen our own willpower. But we're also walking under the power and the nature of the Holy Spirit. And I love this idea of having self-control that grows because of the God that lives inside of me. You know, when I think about self-control, one of the things that I've come to learn is that there was a time in my life where I would run into temptation. And I would run into challenges and I would fail more often than not if I was walking in my own strength. If I was walking in my own nature and in my own willpower. One of the things that I've found is that every single time as a pastor that you talk to somebody who's running into the same problem, the same mistake, the same sin, the same temptation, and you talk to them and you say, you know, why is it that you can't seem to get over that hurdle? Why is it that that one thing seems to always trip you up and get you? There's always one thing that seems to come back. The idea of having a relationship with God should mean that there is a Holy Spirit who lives right here on the inside of me, that when I walk up to the line, I look over what's on the other side of the line, and I realize I'd rather have what's inside here on this side than walk over there and find out what it's like to get outside of the will of God. And God wants to strengthen us to a place where self-control is not just about my will getting stronger and my willpower getting stronger, but when I walk up to the line, the voice of the one who lives inside of me says, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to get on the other side of that boundary? Are you sure you want to find out what it's like to live outside of my protection if you make this decision? Are you sure you want to do that? I know I just made a theological statement. It's got some of you thinking, but are you sure you want to cross that boundary? Are you sure you want to cross that line? Because what I found is that when I am walking in relationship with God, before I ever cross the line, I love living in the peace of God. I love living in the peace of God. And when you develop that camaraderie, when you develop that friendship, when you develop that fellowship with God, you find yourself getting to this place where when you walk up to the line, you say, I'd rather keep what I have here than find out what's over there. Because that's what self-control is. It's not just my own will. It's empowered by the power and the nature of the divine, of the God who lives inside of me. You know, if you actually look in other passages of Scripture, one of the things that you see is that this word self-control in the King James, it doesn't say self-control. It says temperance. Temperance. You see uh, temperance also used when Paul in Galatians 5 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. But here's the interesting thing about temperance. I was looking up that word and thinking, okay, what exactly does temperance mean? I mean, it seems like it's the short root word for that is temper, and I know I sometimes have a bit of a temper, but I don't think that that's what Peter's talking about here. Temperance. What is temperance? 
Have you ever heard of, of uh, some sort of material that's been tempered, like glass? Have you ever heard of tempered glass? Do you know what tempered glass is? It's heat treated and compressed so that it's stronger after the heat and the compression. And oftentimes, I was reading about this this morning, tempered glass is oftentimes chemically treated after it's walked through heat so that it has an extra layer of protection that gives it strength. In other words, you could walk up to tempered glass and you can bang on it and bang on it and it might shatter, but it's going to hold its place. It might take a few scars, but it's going to hold its place. It might take a few shots, but it's going to hold its place. It might crack, but it's going to hold its place. And I looked at that and I began to realize that when I'm walking in relationship with God, again, it's not just about my willpower. It's about the fact that the Holy Spirit lives right here, giving me access to his divine nature. That even though I might face heat, and even though I might face temptation, and even though sometimes I might, might take a few shots, I'm still going to be standing at the end of the day. Why? Because it's not about my self-control. It's about the one who lives on the inside of me, empowering me to have stronger self-control. That's what we're talking about. And I love that idea and I love that thought this morning because I think a lot of us trying to walk through our Christian life not living in the power of the Holy Spirit have failed time and time again to the point that it's like, I don't even know if I want to keep going with this relationship with God because I feel like I'm always failing. Sometimes you walk into the house of God and you feel like, man, my life seems to be defined by my failures. What do people think about me? What do people think about my life? What do people think about the things that I've gotten wrong? When you walk into this place, sometimes we can walk into the house of God with condemnation on our lives that we have put there and that the enemy has put there, even though nobody around knows what's going on. But we'll walk in with this sense of guilt. Why? Because we've failed, we've missed the mark, we've sinned, we've fallen short. And I want you to know this morning, God doesn't want you to walk through life feeling that way. God doesn't want you to walk through this life feeling like you're always a failure. God wants you to walk through this life victorious. But the way that we do it is by accessing his divine power and his divine nature and let those things go to work in our lives so that we begin to step into the fullness of all that he has for us. I told you a second ago, I feel like Peter, when he wrote these things, it was like his way of explaining the fruits of the spirit. God is calling you to a partnership with him. He wants you to be a partaker of his divine nature. Listen, this morning, don't settle for being an observer of his divine nature. Don't settle for being an observer of his divine power at work in the church or at work in other people's lives or at work in scripture in days gone by. Instead, step up to the plate and recognize that God wants you to be a partaker of his divine power and his divine nature every single day of your life so that you don't have to walk in sin. You don't have to walk in just failing to temptation, but instead you can walk in victory because God at the cross made us victorious. Amen? This morning we got to know that. As the people of God, we got to know that we have to understand that. And we have to give our due diligence to walk that thing out with God, to walk out that relationship. But listen, I promise you, if we will be diligent, if we will do our part, if we will enter into that partnership, we will see God's divine power and God's divine nature at work in our lives every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God praise this morning, would you? Awesome. Just for a moment, I want to ask everybody if you would bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to close in prayer in just a second. Before we close in prayer, I just want to take a moment and talk to every single person that's here today. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God and your relationship with God, or it doesn't even matter if you came here today and you know in your heart that you don't have a relationship with God. The thing that you need to know above all else is that God desires to be in relationship with you. He cares so deeply about you that he saw each and every one of you and me when we were lost in our own sin. Scripture tells us that we know God's love in this, that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. When I hear that and when I think about that, the thing that I'm always reminded of is that there was a point in time where even when God knew my future sin, he still chose to send Jesus in my place to the cross so that I could be forgiven. That's how much he loved me. And that's how much he loves you. If you're here this morning, and like I said, maybe you feel like you are missing the mark all the time, falling short, giving in to temptation. Maybe you feel like you're trying to do life or do your faith in your own strength and in your own power. Can I just take a moment this morning and encourage you and tell you that God wants to walk with you. He wants to be in fellowship with you and friendship and partnership and companionship with you so that you can be a partaker of his divine nature. If everybody takes an inventory of themselves this morning, you know and I know that my nature, it isn't that divine. Your nature, it's not all that divine. But we can step into the fullness of God's plan for our life if we would simply choose to ask Jesus to come in and become the Lord of our life and become our Savior. I want to give everybody the opportunity to do that here in just a moment. But maybe you're here today and it's been a long time since you first made that decision. And if you look at yourself, you know right now that between you and God, you're not in a relationship with Jesus. You haven't held up your end of the bargain. I want you to know this morning that God is gracious, God is merciful, God is loving, and God is compassionate. And he's standing at the door with arms wide open, ready to welcome you back into his family because he loves you that much. So we're going to pray a prayer here in just a moment. And if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus and give him your life, ask him to become your savior and the Lord of your life for the first time, or you want to rededicate your life and recommit your life to him, I want to give you that opportunity as we pray together. Scripture tells us that we, all we have to do is confess with our mouth, believe with the heart, and we will be saved. So right now, I want to ask everybody if you would join in and repeat these words right after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross in my place. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were raised from the dead so that I could be forgiven and I could be set free both now and forevermore. So today I choose you as my Savior, and I will make you the Lord of my life. I will learn your ways, and I will follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give a big, big hand to people that made that decision this morning? Awesome. Now listen, everybody hang tight, okay, because we're going to be done in just a few moments. So please, just out of respect for everybody else that's around you this morning, if you're here today and made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, or you made a decision to rededicate your life, I want to tell you there is no greater decision you could ever make in your life than choose to step into a relationship with Jesus. And we want to help you take this walk. We want to help you in this journey just to simply take your first steps. We have a little tool we want to give you. It's very simple and very easy, but it will go a long way in your walk with God. It's a little book that's called The Next Seven Days. There's two different ways that you can get it. Right after the service, we're going to have some prayer teams right down front here in front of the platform. If you walk down here, just let them know, hey, today I made a decision and I want to get the book. They'll give it to you. They don't need anything from you, but we are happy to help, to pray with you, to encourage you in any way that we can. So please take advantage of that. Come down. Let them know that you made that decision. If you need to go quickly after the service, please stop by the next seven days desk. It's between the glass doors before you exit the building. Stop by. Let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus and you want to get the book. They'll give it to you. If we can help you in any other way, we are happy to do that. We want to encourage you and let you know that we're here to walk this thing out with you. We're so grateful. Can we give everybody one more big hand for that decision this morning? Awesome. Give Pastor Zach a good hand this morning. Thank you, Zach, for that message. 
Things we need to add to our faith. That's a great word today, Zach. I really appreciate it. And, you know, this morning at the conclusion of our service, one of the things that we always do is we worship God with our giving. And I just want to go back to one thing real quickly. Back at the first part of this year, I believe it was the end of January, 1st of February, I, I did some teaching from something that God had dropped in my heart from his word about generosity. And I felt like God said, we're moving into a season of generosity. And I just got to say something to you today, two things. Number one, God has been generous to us. Hasn't God been generous in your life? I mean, God is so good. It's amazing how generous God has been. But number two, you have been a generous people. And I want to say thank you so much for your generosity to God's work. And you know, we, we all have to learn that connection between receiving from God, giving back to his work, and realizing that that's giving to God and giving to other people in need, just being generous in every area of life. But I want to say thank you today for your faithfulness in giving. And we talk all the time about what we're doing in different parts of the world, what we're doing in our community. The bottom line is we're honoring God. We're living the kind of life he wants us to live, expressing his generosity to others. So as the ushers come this morning, there are different ways that you can give. They're on the screen. I want to say God bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Let's watch church news together as we give today. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ashley. Welcome to The Bridge. We're thrilled you and your family are here with us. If you're here with us for the first time today, we want to give you a special welcome and say thanks for spending your Sunday with us. We would love to meet you today and help you get connected here in the church. So take a look at church news and let's see what's coming up at The Bridge. Then we'll be right back to tell you how you can get involved. One of my favorite things we do here at The Bridge Church is we have worship and prayer nights. They're evenings where we have an extended time of worship and then we pray and we seek God for the things that are coming up the next few weeks on our church calendar as we reach out to our community and our world. I want to invite you to join us on August 29th, that's a Wednesday evening at seven o'clock, as we combine with our youth in the Bridge Youth area to really seek God to see him do great things in our church, in our community, in our world. We're going to be praying for our students, our younger kids, and the teenagers as well as they're heading back to school. We're going to be praying for bridge women. We're going to be praying for bridge men and man-to-man. -man. We're going to be praying as well for our connect groups that are about to launch. It's going to be a great time, and we're actually going to be investing in planting seed, spiritual seed, in our future. So I want to invite you to come join us. Child care will be provided for infants through fifth grade. It's going to be a great, exciting, powerful evening. August 29th, 7 p.m. We will see you there. The fall term of Connect Groups is kicking off next month, and we are looking forward to launching new groups in the coming days. And today, we are having a Connect Group Leaders Lunch for anyone who is interested in leading a Connect Group this fall here at The Bridge. It's happening right after the 1130 service in the chapel, and it's not too late for you to come and find out how easy it is to lead a group here in the church. Connect groups are one of the primary ways that we build relationships at the bridge, and every group plays a crucial role in connecting people with God and connecting people with people. So if you would like to answer the call and help us get people connected, please join us today right after the 1130 service in the chapel 
We're excited to partner with you and build stronger community this fall at The Bridge. If you're here for the first time today, we would love to meet you at the Connection Center right after this service. Our team is there to welcome you, answer your questions, and give you all the details about how you can get involved here at The Bridge. Take a few minutes to stop by and say hi before you go today. We want to do our best to help you get connected in church life. If you made a decision today to commit your life to Christ, pick up your free copy of The Next 7 Days right after this service at the Next 7 Days desk. Don't do your journey of faith alone. Let us help you take your next steps. For info on anything else, you can always check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. Thanks again for being in church with us today. We love spending Sundays with you. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church today? It's been a good, 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 good day. Just before we go, I want to say one thing. We're heading into the fall season for our church. Uh, school starts kicking off the next few days and all the, the young ones are back in school. And we get into our fall and there's so much planned for this fall. Women, men, connect groups. We've got some exciting things going to happen this fall. So I want to encourage you. You heard the announcement, but mark your calendars for, for uh, August 29th, Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. Our next prayer night.